0: Do us a quick favour, guys, hit the follow or subscribe button, share this with someone who would benefit from it, and help us grow, as the more we grow, the better the episodes we get. Thanks guys for helping us, and let's get into the episode.
1: And he's here. He is here. Cristiano has entered the building. Welcome, you are,
2: to the Old Theatre.
0: Yes guys, welcome back to today's episode of the Sculpted Podcast. Today we are going through part two of Kobe Bryant and Patrick Beth-David. So, as I've mentioned previously, one of my favorite episodes ever. Um, very, very informative. A brilliant insight into PBD and Kobe Bryant. So, I'm excited to finish this one off today. And with that being said, let's get straight into it.
2: Uh, the game itself was, it's a, it's a complicated answer. So there, there are very tactical things in terms of footwork and geometry of the court. So you're looking at the court and looking at the 45 degree angles that the court is, is shaped in and how it needs to operate. That's one component to it. So looking at spots on the floor where you can increase your efficiency, right? You can be on the wing, but there's a certain spot on the wing that improves your angle to drive to the basket, right? So that sort of stuff. Footwork of the opposition, Looking at the emotion of the opposition, their tendencies, their weaknesses, and all that stuff. Understanding the momentum of the game, how to create momentum shifts, where momentum shifts come from, all this sort of stuff. Um, and then studying outside of that, right? Looking at different industries, looking at uh, conductors, looking at writers, looking at actors, and how they get into character, and then how do they keep themselves in that mental space. So. Um, looking at different, different industries, looking at nature itself, mm. and learning from that and how you can incorporate that into the game. It, I, I, man, it's it
1: was a lot of studying. What's your process for making a decision? Do you have a flow of how you go through making a decision? Uh, depends on the decision. Depends on the decision. If we're talking
2: about you know, a basketball decision where you know, you've got to um, you know, read a certain coverage or something like that, I mean, a lot of that comes from the, the pre-work pre-work and understanding what their defensive package is and uh, how to put teammates in certain situations. So, for example, if you look at players nowadays that are charged with taking game-winning shots or making game-winning decisions, Mm -hmm. and you look at the play and then you look at it and say, okay, well, that shooter was there, the double team came, and, you know, the player couldn't do anything but pass the ball, right? Well, that's because they didn't do the pre-work right? So when you do the pre-work, you understand, okay, this team in this situation likes to run a double team from this particular angle, all right? So I'm going to clear that side out, force the double team to come from a different angle, move myself to a space on the floor where it's going to take a long time for the double team to come, and now I can circumvent the double team and get to a place on the floor where I can knock down
1: a shot and get to the basket. So it's, it's all that pre-work. D- decision, when I say decision, how is a, if you're looking at somebody that you're sizing up, or if you're looking at somebody to go into business with, or if you're looking at a big investments you gotta make, what is the decision making process there? Do you call, is there, first you do your own research, you take this much time, you call an advisor, is there a a system you follow? No, it's pretty
2: pretty simple for me. It's it's, do you understand the business? Is it a business that you can help in some form or fashion? What are the barriers of entry to that business? And then the entrepreneurs themselves, the company itself, right? Do they have a culture that you believe is sustainable? Are these leaders people that you believe in? Are they people that are obsessives? And in turn, have they created a culture of
1: obsessiveness? So I tend to look at those four factors and that's it. That's That's big right there, by the way. I don't know if you guys caught that right there. That's pretty massive right there. Um, Earlier you said... I'm probably not going to get this right. A 16-year-old, a 13 or 11-year-old. Yeah,
2: 13, 16, and, 13, and, two, and one. That's a month.
1: One that's a month, by the way, right? One that's a month. All girls. All girls. Four, four, four. So 16 means you're in your fifth, sixth year. Sixth year having a baby. Yeah, is it something like that, right? Give or take. What was the conversation like with your wife to say, listen, this is the schedule? Because, look, you know, some entrepreneurs, they're coming home at night and late. Oh, my gosh, my wife is upset because I came home at 1130. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a sacrifice I'm making. You know, yeah, this life's, yeah. you know, it's, I don't know if I can do this. Sure. You're on the road nine months out of the year. If you sure. especially played Olympics, you won two gold medals. So you're doing that on the offseason and you're trying yeah. to get that part going and training for doing your camps. What is the conversational life like with your wife and kids to say, listen, this is what I'm doing. How did that conversation go? Well, with the kids, it's different. So, like, the communication with, the, with our children is that, you
2: know, pops is working hard. This is the level of attention to detail you need to have in everything you do. So it's, it's setting the example. Same thing with my wife. My wife's a stay-at-home wife. It's the hardest job, man. Right? So she works really hard at that. I mean, it's... You know, and so her attention to detail with that as well are examples for our children. And then for my wife, it's, you know, she's as competitive as I am. She's just like, listen, man, if you're going to be out here training eight hours a day, if you're going to spend nine months out of the year away from your family, you better fucking win the championship. (laughs) What are we doing this for?
0: (laughs) What are we doing?
2: What are we doing? I love that. You know. Um, But it's a balancing act. And that's the thing that's important is understanding that we have to have so much energy. Because for like Natalia and Gianna when they were babies, especially Natalia because she was doing prime years. um, And I go to practice and I'd I'd train and I'd play the game and I'd come home and I'd be sore and I'd be tired. And she wants to go swimming. She wants me to take her to the park. She wants to just jump on my back or whatever the case may be. You can't say... I'm too tired, I'm going to lay down. Mm. That's not fair. She don't know what the hell's going on, right? And if this was a game, you'd suck it up and play. I play games with the flu. I play games with 102 degree fever, man. Powerful you can't do that. That is can't. so
1: powerful. Right? Man. You gotta be on, man. That's big. Did you guys, uh, um, would, you, would you sit at the, because you, you're obviously very detailed, your show. I mean, you're a very, very detailed guy. Would you guys have a meeting? Like I sit there and say, okay, if, if, I'm, if I'm thinking like Kobe, let's just say Kobe's trying to schedule out his years. Season's about to start. Would you sit with her and say, okay, babe, this is the schedule next 12 months. Tell me about birthdays. Tell me about this. Yes. Me, is, that, is that what you guys do?
2: Yeah, I look at it and say, okay, birthdays, what am I missing? Uh, Valentine's Day, Halloween, Christmas, you know, Easter, like all that fun stuff. And I look at the schedule and see what I'm there for, what I'm not there for. Christmas is it a road game or a home game this year and then we make a family decision It's family travel uh, do I come back like sometimes I'd, I'd fly back like I'd play a game and to not miss my daughter's birthday I'd fly back be there for her birthday and then fly back with the team you know just to make sure I don't miss anything
1: <laughs> respect what's the least amount of sleep you play the game on no is, there, sleep. is there a story where it's like, you know, no one knows about where you went and played a game and it was so insane for whatever reasons?
2: No sleep. I, <laughs> you play played a game, game with game, zero no, sleep. Zero <laughs> sleep. Zero sleep. It's like, you know, um, kids, you know, Natalia had a certain, you know, health situation or what have you, and you stand up all night. And then uh, you got to go out and perform because fans don't know, you know, teammates don't know, nor do they care, nor should they. That you've been up all night you got to perform right
1: and so um you just gotta you just gotta go to work man it's respect that's, that's it. respect and, and and i think one of the things that for for some if you follow basketball or not that you and mike had in common is that it wasn't say hey, i'm gonna take eight games off this year to try to stay healthy the mindset <laughs> I'm going, you know like that to you is comical I right to do that what the
2: hell is that man i don't know what that is that's crazy seriously it's crazy like you know, you got a lot of people playing their hard-earned money to come watch you perform. 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 It's your job to be in shape. It's your job to be strong enough to perform at that level every single night. And as a competitor, I'm not, I'm not ducking shit. Like, it's not, oh, my God, my back hurts. I'm sore. We got to play Vince Carter and Toronto Raptors tonight. We actually had this happen. We had a game against Toronto in 2000, um, and Vince was tearing the league up. Um, my back was jacked, jacked. But like the perception of that, like what? Kobe's missing the game against Toronto and Vince Carter because man, my back was really spasming. But people would be like, what? Oh, he's ducking Vince, excuse me? <laughs> no, I don't think so. So I would be in the layup line like, okay, there's a lot of days where you, know, you can rest and recover. Today ain't one of them. Your back can bother you any other day. That shit ain't bothering me today.
1: He's going to have to see oh, man. me today.
2: Yeah. Oh, Amen.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: he was another one that came in. You thought for sure, you know, he was going to be yeah. one of the... In a whole different league when he came in. Obviously, he, would, he just, extra, I don't know what his vertical leap is, 46, 47, no, out of this world what he does. The
2: best dunker I've ever seen.
1: Insanity is, yeah, I mean, dude, dude. insanity is why they uh, call it's him that. So crazy. You're an alpha. You have a very strong personality, uh, uh, extremely strong personality, and then you got a team with Shaq, and then you got a team with Phil Jackson, and you guys are all working together. How was it taking coaching from an alpha and you're an alpha? And was there a progression of you finally understanding him or him understanding you? What did that look like, the relation between you and Phil?
2: No, at, at first it was rocky, but I didn't understand it was rocky. And, and, and let me elaborate. I was extremely naive. And with Phil and his genius, his responsibility was to get the team to a place to win titles. It wasn't to appease one player. It wasn't to look out for this player. It was to get the collective hold to win a championship. So he would do whatever it took to make sure that that happened. Mm. He would see the friction between myself and Shaquille and say, okay, how can I use that? All right, I know Kobe has a passion to play, so come hell or high water, doesn't matter what's going on in his personal life, doesn't matter what's happening here with the team, he's gonna show up and perform no matter what. Shaq is more emotional. If something's going on, he won't. So therefore, I gotta figure out how to create a wedge between myself and Cole, because then that brings me closer to Shaquille. And then that helps me better manage Shaq. So that was his ability to manage the team, which was absolutely brilliant. I used to tell him all the time, I said, Phil, look, I know what you're doing, bro. Like don't insult my intelligence. I know you're being a dick to me on purpose. Like, just like, tell me, no, no. Okay, you are gonna stick, stay with it. All right, cool. All right.
1: <laughs> How's your relationship till today? I mean, you guys want five He's like together. like a father figure. Really? Yeah, Phil's like a father figure, man. So all, when you were hearing all the uh, uh, experts saying what they were saying, commentators saying what they were saying about Phil, how were you taking that when they were saying what they were saying about him with the, when he was at the Knicks? Um, I thought it was funny.
2: I thought it was funny. Yeah, I, I told Phil, I said, Phil, you know this is all just karma for writing literally three books about me. This is, just, <laughs> this is your karma. <laughs> um, you told him that. I did tell him that. <laughs> It was just all in good fun. Um, But I, I was upset because people don't understand him. And he is a genius in every sense of the word. And how he sees the game, how he sees the spirituality of the game. And people don't understand that. And worse than that, they're intimidated by that. And even worse, they try to discredit that because they do not have the level of passion and obsessiveness obsessiveness to get to that level. So they figured the best thing to do is to tear that level down. That's
1: fucked up. I'm with you. They're 100% by the way. Obviously, he had a lot of interesting rituals. You would hear about the yoga. You would hear about all this stuff that he would do. (laughs) What is the weirdest thing he did with you in practice that you're like, what the hell are we doing here?
2: Yeah. He had a Tai Chi master come to practice and uh, we walk out there and you know, the Tai Chi master standing center court and tells us to take our shoes off, take our shoes off and I'm pissed because I'm, I'm ready to like play basketball and he's standing up there and says everybody closes their eyes and stuff and he does stuff like monk gazing at moon. And talks about the fingertips and barely touching and the spirituality of all that. And I'm peeking around like, is everybody doing this shit? Like, what <laughs> <laughs> the hell's going on? And there, you know, and big ass Phil, Phil's there doing it himself. He's like, you know, he's doing this whole, like doing all this stuff, you know? And I'm like, damn, okay, I'm gonna try it. But honestly, it, 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 I bought into it. I bought into the meditation. I bought into the deeper connection that exists within the game. And so when you watch our teams, or you watch any of Phil's teams, or Chicago teams, game six against Utah, you watch our games, You know, game seven against Boston, we were never rattled, ever, because we're always in the moment, always in the present, always extremely calm, always looking at the reality of the situation and not letting our emotions cloud our execution. And that comes from being in that meditative state that he would teach and preach from day one, would he take you back?
1: Would he take you back? Would he take you back and say you had a terrible game and it was, you know, the season prior. Would he take you back and say, we're going to watch this game. It was the worst loss we had. It was absolutely embarrassing for you to kind of see what things you did to him. Was he that kind of a, was he, no. It was more about fundamentals and improving the game. Move on. He was very hands-off, right? In the sense of he allowed
2: players to develop. He would allow you to find your truth and then go after it. And he was there to simply guide you along that journey, uh, which I actually learned from him and that's how I parent. And that's how I coach my daughter's team now. So that's why I say he's a father figure because I've learned so much from him as a coach that I take as a father, as a husband, and as a coach myself, but he was very, he was
1: very observant. Was he a one on, better one-on-one or one-on-few? Like one-on-one versus one-on-twelve. Like if I'm having a team meeting and I'm talking to guys to rally them or calm them down or it's okay, strategy, or was he very good one-on-one, just you and him, closed doors?
2: Yes, great conversationalists, uh, but hated confrontation. He hated confrontation. Direct confrontation is not his thing. Doesn't do it never did well with it. it, had a lot to do with how he grew up, and his, you know, his brother, his siblings, and father, and so forth and so on. Hates direct confrontation. And he knew that about himself. So that's why a lot of his challenges were indirect. He went to the media with things. So he's very indirect. He would never challenge a player directly. He didn't like that.
1: Yeah he said one time you guys had a meeting and he sat you down and Shaq down and he says, listen, I know you guys think you're alpha, I'm a bigger alpha than the both of you guys. Did, did that ever take place? Was Not really. Not. No, it,
2: it, it, was, it was more like, uh, you know, he would say it in film sessions, not with me and Shaq. Like he never sat me and Shaq down, like him, me, and Shaq. He never sat... No, said God, no. you kidding? Why wouldn't he though? Is it the confrontation? Yeah, I'm sure it'd be a little terrifying for him. Got it. <laughs> I mean, Phil, have you ever seen Phil walk? I mean, Phil, you know, he's got like one good hip on like the best day of his life. It's like if some shit goes down, he, he's doing <laughs> nothing to break that up. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's a little intimidating. But what he would do is he would do things indirect. And it wasn't about calming the waters. It was about stirring up the waters and creating a storm that eventually would lead this broken ship to the shore it was trying to get to in the first place.
1: <laughs> so was he constantly instigating and steering his own
2: way? That's what he was doing, man. So like, if you've ever seen the movie Moana, if anybody has kids here, I'm sure you've seen Moana, right? When she goes out and all of a sudden there's a storm and she loses her mind, thinks everything is lost and all of a sudden she wakes up and she's right where she was supposed to be, that's Phil. Wow, that's a
1: great example, that's a great example. <laughs> So, we're coming out to the last 15 minutes. i got a list of questions that I'm not going to get to, but I do want to ask a couple of these. Is, you're playing against the Golden State Warriors. Score is 107-109. You guys are close to getting into the playoffs. You know exactly what happens in the game. You go up, you're about to take your shot, and then all of a sudden, boom, Achilles happens, right? Friend of mine, Nima, he is here just to listen to he played ball and he told me says patrick i don't think you understand he says when i tore my achilles in high school (laughs) he says four friends of mine dragged me to my (laughs) hospital i was crying from there straight to the hospital he says i have no clue how the hell this guy did it he went and hit the free throws and then you walked off the stage yeah and you got the surgery Yeah. How the hell do you tolerate that kind of pain?
2: Uh, you know, I, I, use this, I, I tell this example, and I think this is the best way to explain it. Um, you know, you have a, a hamstring injury, you pull your hamstring really, really badly. You can barely walk, right, let alone play anything, soccer, basketball, volleyball, whatever it is, you can't do anything. Doctor tells you to go home, sit up on the couch, rest your hammy, right? stay off of it, don't get up, no sudden movements. You're at home, all of a sudden, a, a fire breaks out in the home, right? Your kids are upstairs, you know, wife is you know, wherever she may be, you know, this shit's going down, right? I'm willing to bet that you're gonna forget about your hamstring, you're gonna sprint upstairs, you're gonna grab your kids, you'll make sure your wife's good, you're getting out of that house, right? Hamstring be damned. You're not going to feel your hamstring, right? And, and the reason is because the lives of your family are more important than the injury of your hamstring. And so when the game is more important than the injury itself, you
0: don't feel that damn injury. Mm. Not at that time. Yeah. That's a brilliant point there. And that's one that I also do talk about. Now, whether... I got my analogy from this video, I don't know, it's definitely possible, but if you've listened to a few episodes of mine talking about motivation and the incentive, I, I kind of use that analogy for motivation, he's, he's talking about the disassociation that you feel when you're in such a dire state, I talk about the disassociation that you should feel with motivation, it's, it's just the incentive, you feel disassociated from the incentive which doesn't force action, right? You have to be so aware of the incentive. You have to make that incentive so powerful that you are forced to take action. And and, and my example of that is, you know, your family's burning in that house fire. You're lazy. You don't want to ever run. And you see the house fire? You've never had higher motivation to run and save your family in your life. Even though you hate it, you've never had higher motivation because... I mean, it's, it's do or die, you know? Like, it's... The motivation is higher than it's ever been. And, and it should be.
1: Room. You guys had a shot that, you know, to go into the... You guys were a team that no one wanted to face, even though there was conflict. You know, maybe if you would have gone round one, who knows, maybe Dwight would have gone together, you know? Who knows what was going to happen? Sure. It's just, you were the kind of team that... Look, it's just a pain in about to face these guys. Sure. We're just hoping you don't make the playoffs, right? I'm sure a lot of people were very happy that you guys didn't make the playoffs that year. But you go into the locker room and then one of the reporters comes up to you and he says to you, Kobe, are you convinced that they told you it's probably torn Achilles? They're going to do an MRI. Are you pretty convinced that's what it is? And your answer is, yeah. Then one of the reporters says, but if anyone is going to get through this, it's probably you, right? You put your head down and you say, oh, man, shit, right? And you have tears in your eyes. Did you say, oh, man, shit, because everybody's expecting me to be invincible, man. Like, freaking, let me just play the damn game. I'm a human being. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Or was it like the world's expecting me to come back in the next month because I'm Kobe? Like, what were you thinking in that oh, moment with all that pressure?
2: I was thinking, like, I don't know if I can do this. Dude, wow. Achilles were like the kiss of death. Yes. Athletes. Like, yes. I, I, don't, I don't know. If I can do this, I don't know. There's so many factors. There's the surgery that has to take place. The surgery has to go well, right? And then just, it's a tendon. I'm not dealing with anything that's muscular or things that I can control. I can't control a tendon, you know what I'm saying? So like, I don't know. And then thinking about what that process of recovery is gonna Mm -hmm. look like. It's a long one.
1: Do I wanna do that shit? I I I don't know if I wanna do it. I don't know. So that was the hardest part. You don't know if you want to do it or you don't know if you are going to be able to come back from it. Both. Oh, like, both I don't know don't. if I can do it. I don't know if I want to do it. Got it.
2: I mean, it's, it's a long, long yes. process. But, like, when I, I went in the trainer's room. My kids are in there. And, you know, they're looking at you and stuff. And I'm looking at them. And I'm like, you know, it's all right. Dad's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. As a parent, you got to set the example. You gotta set the example, this, this is another obstacle. This obstacle cannot define me, it's not gonna cripple me, it's not gonna be responsible for me stepping away for the game that I love. I'm gonna step away on my own terms. And that's when the decision was made that, you know what, I'm doing it, I'm doing it.
1: You're a freaking beast Scott. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I notice a lot of times you go and you talk about like even the example you use right now. If your hamstrings are this, you're down, your wife's upstairs, your kids, you ain't going to think about it. So did you have a lot of these scenarios where you use your wife and your kids to use as no excuse, I'm going to get through this? Was that a mental conversation you had that nobody could hear?
2: Yeah, you got to lead by example. As parents, you got to lead by example. If you want your kids to do whatever it is they want to accomplish in life, you have to show them. Mm. You can't.
1: You got to show them and that's what i tried to do and you're obviously doing that man at a whole different level alter on. ego let's do alter ego and then i want to kind of go into the story side and how you went into the storytelling and you wouldn't it guys this guy won an academy award he's a basketball player <laughs> how the hell does that make any sense right Wins <laughs> a freaking academy award right <laughs> so alter ego alter ego you know, sometimes uh, 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 we are so worried about what other people think about us. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, what if they think I'm crazy? What if they think I'm over obsessive or competitive? And what if this is like, you're too much? This is just not healthy for you to be thinking this way, right? Yeah. How did you get your mindset into this alter ego to be comfortable being Black Mamba? Like, how how did that happen? It's a good separation for me, you know, emotionally, to be able to put myself
2: in a place where at practice or when I'm training or during games, I switch my mind to something else. I switch my mode into something else, right? For me, it's the equivalent of Maximus, Desmus, Meridius, and Gladiator picking up the dirt, smelling the dirt, it's go time, right? So that was my mental switch. It was like an actor getting ready for a film. You gotta put yourself in that cage. When you're in that cage, you are that character. And then when you
0: leave there, it's something completely different. But
2: when I'm in that cage, bro, don't fucking touch me. Now,
0: a video I made a while ago, I referenced this exact part. And I really like that example when he's sniffing the dirt and he goes into, you know, the mode. Um, it's a trigger. It's a trigger. And... You know, dependent on your sport, that will work for you or won't work for you. And dependent on the individual, it will work for you or it won't work for you. Now, that's not the best way for me to do it, I find. Going for an instant switch, my arousal has to be a bit lower because I have such a costly job being a goalkeeper. So, I'm aware of it. I actually tried doing what Kobe spoke about there. and and as I mentioned it, it, it wasn't for me my arousal that actually what Kobe's talking about is something that boosts your arousal for me I'm trying to I'm trying to work my arousal to work for me of course like Kobe is but my arousal should be lower if I'm too jacked up as a goalkeeper I'm chasing the game which is dangerous goalkeepers shouldn't be chasing the game so I have to be very aware of how I prepare myself, but I have to be disassociated from that awareness during the game, otherwise I'm not going to be... I'm too aware, right? That's a hindrance. Being too aware in the zone, you're not in the zone. So, aware of that, but disassociated with that. So, it's a a weird one to to work out, to play, but it doesn't come overnight, naturally, uh, typically. It can, it can. But, for me, it was a, it was a long process. A very long process. Don't talk to me. Just
2: leave me alone. I, there used to be certain games, like, for, like, certain key games. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this before. This, this kind of makes me seem very psychotic, but whatever. I used to uh, play the Halloween theme song over and over and over in my headphones. Pre-game. Seriously. 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 And it was important that it was Michael Myers because the mask itself was void of emotion. Void of emotion. It has that's nothing to do with pressure, it has flow. nothing to do with hype, has nothing to do with camaraderie, it's stone-cold killer. And I would listen to that song over and over and over wow. to get That's that's when you know you better run cuz <laughs>
1: That's what a lot of people did. Yeah, that's it's probably coming out, you know. It's so going to be I a tough night. Story. Yeah. yeah. So, Kobe, you've probably made, in this 50-minute conversation, I don't know, 12 metaphors. So, typically, people that make metaphors, they're storytellers. To them, everything has to paint a picture. And from the day one, you're talking about you were very curious, right? So, when you finished the last game you had, and I'll never forget, we were having a training, by the way, in Dallas, and we finished it. This was three years ago. And my sister and I get home. It's 12.30. I was hoping I could catch the game. It's your last game. You're playing Utah. Yeah. And uh, I'm standing up the entire time. I'm getting the last four minutes, which is the best freaking four minutes. (laughs) And I see you, Shaq, saying, go for 50. And then you're just going. And and you're not hitting easy shots. These are not easy shots. You hit your last shot. You scored six. Guys nobody has ever had a 60-point game to retire with. Like, that has <laughs> never happened. Like, it's insane for this to happen. You hit your 60 point. I got to say this. My sister's in the room. Kobe. I got tears coming down and watching you when this happens because 20 years I've been following this guy, and I relate to you because in the insurance world, I take a lot of your uh, similarity. You may be in a mm-hmm. completely different world. I'm looking at the world here, and it's just like, seeing this guy he's so freaking determined to say I came and gave everything I had and I'm going to give it to the last freaking second that's what you did but then you leave and you're like no it's good I'm cool you tell your story you give your message everybody's flipping out and you're like no Kobe's going to come back no Kobe and, and you're going and you go going to your storytelling all this stuff how did that disconnect and going into that go and you're still helping out a lot of players you're always advising Laker you know Jeannie calls you anybody calls you, you're you helping out no problem sure. But how did that adjustment go from there to all of a sudden, now I gotta go tell stories. Yeah. How did that happen?
2: Because I love it. So, you know, it started for me again in high school when I started learning about storytelling, writing, how to structure a story, how to put together, how to thread together a narrative that has a bigger message, how to create compelling characters, how to take some of the emotions from my, from my own journey and instill them into characters that inspire or teach the next generation. Therefore, they can avoid some of the pitfalls and landmines that I had to go through. Right? That's something I'm extremely passionate about. So I loved it. So it wasn't a matter of, man, I gotta, you know, I gotta put this aside, I gotta move on to something else. I was excited. So, man, I can't wait to get started. I can't wait to move on and do something else. And everybody kept saying, man, like... It, <laughs> my wife asked me one time, we were filling out a form for school and it said, all right, father occupation. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> "What am I? What am I supposed to put down?" You know, I don't storyteller. You want me to write storyteller on your kid's form? Wow. You know, yeah, I guess. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Because, dude, really? All right, fine. Just put producer. I don't know, right? But. During that year, everybody kept coming up to me and saying, Okay, you're gonna have stages of grief when you retire. You're gonna go into a state of depression when you retire. And those are all normal and all this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm fine. Yes, of course you would say that. I said that too. I'm like, too. Fuck, man. And so after a while I just started listening, like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm. 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 Mm hmm hmm, and you know, and then my competitive competitiveness inside was like, no, I'm gonna do something in the next 20 years that is better than these last 20. You might not understand that I'm doing that, <laughs> you know, you know. So the competitiveness kicks in.
1: You've gone, same determination. What's your current work schedule look like today? It's it's uh it's different because. I personally
2: am not writing every word of the novels. I am not animating the films. What I have to do now is make sure that the people that we bring in, these obsessives that we bring in, are challenging themselves to do the best job that they think they can do. That's what I'm there for, is for them to constantly look in the mirror and self-assess and challenge themselves. If we have a project and you're saying, okay, I can do that, that's not the project we want. The projects that say, I don't know if I can animate that. I don't know how to write that story. I don't know how to do that. Those are the things we want because through that curiosity, you'll reach a level that you didn't think was possible. Mm -hmm. And so running the studio, that's what I'm doing.
1: Are you, are you a big movie guy? You're huge. Okay, so how, how do you watch movies? Like, you know, the, I, I, my experience is people watch movies in many different ways. Not everybody watches movies the same way. When you're watching movies, how are you watching a movie? I watch them multiple times and I wear different hats every time. So the first time
2: I watch it, I watch it just as a fan for pure entertainment value. Then I watch it from the director's lens and see why he made some of the decisions or she made some of the decisions that she made mm-hmm. for the film. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the lighting. No. Lighting. Oh yeah, like lighting is extremely detailed. important. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, then, that de- then I listen to the music, and then you can challenge yourself by really understanding the director's point of view if you watch a film without music and without sound.
1: Then you can actually see the film for what it is. So I watch it at different, different stages. I mean, obviously uh, Academy Awards that you won the gentleman you hired for the sound, wasn't it John? Is it, uh, uh,
2: John Williams, John yeah, Williams did the music. Right? And John yeah. Williams
1: is like the goat in his world. Bro, he's the people.
2: modern day Beethoven. Yeah. And this guy, I mean, this guy's composed any song right now that you can remember from a film, he's done. Superman theme, did that. Indiana Jones, did that. Jaws, did that. Harry Potter, did that. The Olympics theme, did that too i mean the list goes on and on and on and on and you know he's like 85 years old that's crazy yeah man that's yeah. crazy that's yeah he's, pure he's doing a new passion. star wars film now oh star wars too that part <laughs> he did that
1: one too yeah so when you say recruiting and putting your team together with your projects today who, who are you recruiting like you know if you're putting a basketball team together you need a gm president you know trainers all this stuff assistant good coach what do you need right now when you put it? Like for example, right now, building out an animation house,
2: right? So you got to start with the head of the snake. You got to look at the person that's better understands the type of animation that you want to create. And they have to be obsessives, have to have a knowledge base, the historical knowledge base, because I love people that understand the history of their industry, ins and outs of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you bring that person into the picture, and then you allow them to do what you brought them in to do. So you
1: leave them alone, kind of like Phil left you guys alone to do. I'm not gonna hire you to tell you how to do your job. Got it. So recruiting, obviously in the league, you were known as a great recruiter. So what is your recruiting approach? So if you're sitting down with me, I'm somebody you really want, you really want me on the team. What's your approach to recruit me?
2: You want first place, come play with me. You want second place, go somewhere
1: else. This is too much fun here. (laughs) Final thoughts, man. What are we going to see with Kobe next 20 years? What other projects have you got in mind that you're working on right now? Uh,
2: The biggest challenge for us is looking at the entertainment industry and how to diversify it, Uh, particularly in animation, but also in writing, in in young YA novels, middle-grade novels, how to create more diverse characters, how do we have better representation, how do we create better opportunities, not just ethnicity, but also gender diversity. I have four girls, right? So my mission is to make sure women have opportunities that they haven't been afforded. That is my, I mean, I'm the father of four girls. (laughs) So that is my next obsession, is how do we lead that charge from the front? How do we take an animation industry that lacks in diversity substantially lacks in diversity how do we take some of those old animation techniques and teach a whole new generation of animators to come in and create films to inspire
1: the world and uh we're getting after it i i think everybody knows crystal clear kobe's going to get whatever kobe wants that's crystal <laughs> clear man brother appreciate you for, for coming thank out man. and truly this has been a blast make thank some you. noise kobe Bryant. thank you i got a gift for you man i want to give you a gift thank you right. let me give you this gift all right Let me give you this gift. You have it. So first one I'm going to give you is this. This is something that you represent, and we have to go get your size. And it's just saying that post-game, you are now an entrepreneur. So we're giving you a shirt that says, I'm Ah, an entrepreneur. Okay, that's yours. Word, 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 word. And next one, you said script. So we went and got a Star Wars (laughs) Force <laughs> Awaken script, signed by J.J. Abrams. His brother because My man. That's oh, that's your, amazing. I hope, Bro, enjoyed, Truly, I hope you enjoyed Thank you. I thank hope you enjoyed thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for
1: coming on, man. Thank Truly, you. Man. Thank, thank, thank you for coming on. Thank has been a blast. Thank you. Everybody make those. Kobe Bryant. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I love it. Love, love man.
1: Thank you. Love.
0: Um, that is Kobe Bryant and Patrick Beth David. What an interview! That is one that I've listened to multiple times on repeat, and there is not much better, honestly. It is an amazing one. Um, there's so many great things in there that I've learned from you know. The, the routine, the regimen, the discipline, the vision that Kobe has, all of these things I've, I've taken notes on, I've learned about, and I've, I believe I'm a real student of Kobe Bryant. I'd like to believe I do some things better than Kobe Bryant, as a student of Kobe Bryant should, because if you are a student, you should know that it's all about competition. So... When I talk about it, you know, I want to be better than Kobe. Now, I can't compare my basketball skills, but my mental fortitude, my mental strength, my desire, my ambition, my action, my results, I all want it to be better than Kobe. Now, it's no easy task, not at all, but I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot because I think even if I'm not able to get there, the pursuit, the journey, I learned so much. You know, I'm better for doing it. I don't really lose too much. I think I only gain. So, I hope that you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I do, because as I've mentioned, like I I listened to that on repeat. It's, It's not my first time listening to that. It's not my fifth time. It's probably more than that. And there's so many good things to take away. So, I hope that you, you liked it. I hope that I was able to provide a bit of input i don't think it was too much i didn't want to say too much because it was so informative and and me giving a contrary opinion may have taken away from the real value there but i hope that you got something out of it and i will catch you in tomorrow's episode